Hello, dear listeners. In this special bonus episode, we are talking to C.K. McDonnell, who is the author of, well, of many books, actually, but most relevantly for today, of the Stranger Times series, the third of which, Love Will Tear Us Apart, is coming out on the 9th of February, which is why we are dropping, as they say, this episode today. There are a couple of good reasons why we've got Queeve McDonnell on the show. First of all, he's also a massive Pratchett fan, and so we can talk about that with him at length. And indeed, we did. Second, I think many of our listeners will hugely enjoy his work. I picked up The Stranger Times and read it in a day, which is something I don't often achieve these days outside of Discworld. In brief, the series is based around the editorial team for The Stranger Times, which is a newspaper comparable to the Fortean Times magazine covering the paranormal, the metaphysical, and the downright bizarre, where the news is the belief in the story, not necessarily the events recounted. However, this publication's ragtag bunch of misfit journos find out that at least some supernatural stories are alarmingly authentic. So, I hope you enjoy this conversation, and we'll see you back on Discworld shortly. Hello and welcome to The True Shall Make You Fret, a podcast in which we are usually reading and recapping every book from Terry Pratchett's Discworld series, one at a time, in chronological order. I'm Joanna Hagen. I'm Francine Carroll. And with us today, we have Cueve McDonnell, uh, aka CK McDonnell, stand-up comedian, writer on TV shows such as Have I Got News For You and Mock the Week, and most relevantly for today, author of 14 novels, goodness me, including the Stranger Time series. Is that still I'm, accurate? I'm literally doing the maths in my head now going, is, <laughs> I think it might be 15. I think when the when the third Stranger Time book comes out, I think it's the oh. 15th. Um, yeah, it's weird. I actually made jokes about the last book coming out and, and, and it, like when your 13th book or something comes out. And I realised a week later that I'd done the sums wrong and I, there was one more book. And it's like, that's when you know you've written quite a lot of books and you can't remember them all. You have to go through them all in your head and try and add them up again every time. That's a good place to be. I've got the reading order thing on your website open at the moment, and I do appreciate a good arcane infographic to go with anybody's body of work. So, oh, yeah, no, I have, I have not. I mean, the Stranger Times is so far a linear series, thank God. But yeah, the Bunny books, which are my other, the other side, the ones written by Queeve, yeah, that's that's a mess for any writers listening to this. I cannot emphasize this enough: never call a ser- never put a number in a series title. I call it the Dublin Trilogy, and it now has seven books in it. Um, ne- never, ever put a number in. Things things change. Just be flexible. The increasingly inaccurately named. Yes. <laughs> Quick note on spoilers before we crack on. Obviously, we're a spoiler-like podcast. We will avoid spoiling any major events in uh, CK's books. And as far as Discworld goes, we will avoid spoiling any events post-Nightwatch. And of course, we're saving in it any and all discussion of the final Discworld novel, The Shepherd's Crown, until we get there. So you, dear listener, can come on the journey with us. Cool. I, don't, I don't have an improv bit for that, Joanna. We don't have a book to go with. <laughs> well, I'll be honest, I don't know the exact chronological order, but if in doubt, I'm just going to try and not spoil stuff. Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, I'm pretty sure I know Nightwatch is nearer the end of the uh, the watch stuff than the beginning, but I don't know the exact order because I'm not good at that. It's all right. We'll just bleep it out if you say anything horrific or throw in a bunch of wrong spoilers. Yeah. Although that is that would be hilarious. It's like, what was it? Arrested Development uh, was the brilliant sitcom had the great thing where they had the uh, next time on and it was just randomly made up stuff that didn't exist. I know. It took me longer than I'd like to admit before I realised that was what was happening when I watched it the first time. <laughs> I was like, wait a minute. Cool. So before we got to this series of books that we're talking about you've had a, a long and storied career in comic writing 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, to a various degrees. I mean, I was, a, I, I basically, I think I started doing stand up in 2001. And I was always like, I was always interested. I actually came to London from Dublin, which is where I'm from, basically. Um, and I wanted, I got a six month placement. I came over and I wanted to try stand up where nobody knew me. And I also wanted to start doing some courses in comedy writing. So I did a sitcom writing course and a stand up writing course. Um, and then sort of three years later, more or less, I went full time as a stand up. and. Wow writing as well um and I have I've sort of I was doing both of those things up until 2019 when I retired from uh stand-up and and I mean the only thing now I do is uh to be honest is writing my own books I don't even like everything's been optioned for tv stranger times and the bunny books and stuff um and I'm basically not involved in writing the pilots for them I just write books now that's all I do interesting was it um was it a wrench to give up control or a relief to be honest, it's it's one of these things where, if I'm entirely honest, if you ask authors about this honestly, could you talk to authors about TV stuff? You kind of they make like a big thing of like getting you involved stuff when you're talking about options and all these sort of things. And there's very good people involved. I'm very lucky with who my my books are sort of with. But then they sort of go ahead and start doing stuff, and then they kind of every six months or a year, my agent will ask them. And they go, "Oh God, yeah, we should update you." And um, they do kind of, and almost every author I've spoken to, it's been the same, where you're not really, unless you're actually trying to write the thing yourself, you're kind of not involved in it day to day. There's an amazing story with, um, oh, what's his name? James Patterson, mm. uh, who's written how many books? He's so named on, <laughs> yeah, and his name's on how many others because of all these collaborate, whatever that yeah. model of writing he has. But there was a story, I saw him live talk about this. And bear in mind, he's James Patterson. He's one of those powerful authors in the, in the world. And he was watching the film they made in one of his books and he was at the premiere and he turned to his wife and said, Who, who's that that just walked into the kitchen? And they went, apparently it's the main character's sister. And he went, he has a sister? <laughs> um, like, that's how much control James Patterson has. So um, <laughs> the reality is with other stuff, you kind of, uh, you know, you wait and see and you hope for the best. You kind of, as long as you, you're sort of working with good companies, which I'm very lucky to be doing, yeah. you sort of hope these things will work out for the best, I guess. That's cool. How far along in the pipeline is that stuff, if, if you can say? Oh, it's 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 hard to. I mean, I know the the, the Bunny McGarry books. Um, there with Avalon, who uh, Chris Addison, who people might know, is a comedian, who's a director and a writer and actor and stuff. And there's he's sort of the showrunner for them. Well, he's actually involved as a producer, and then there's somebody else. They've got a very good, well-known Irish writer involved, but it hasn't been announced yet that he's doing it. So I don't think I can say okay. it. But he's writing <laughs> pilots, uh, basically, I believe. And then uh, with the Stranger Times books, um, there's like a NBC Peacock in America is involved with it and oh. um they're doing a mini writer's room and stuff. But um I don't know, we'll have to wait and see. It's yeah. one of these, it's a weird thing with TV where it's nothing's really happened until everything's happening and it can all fall apart so quickly and stuff. Like Ben Aranovich's books are for ages everyone was getting excited because they were with Simon Pegg's company and stuff, which obviously be a great company to do them, but mm. nothing ultimately didn't happen. And then they've now signed with the same company that made um Slow Horses. Uh, which is not even seen on Apple, which is the Mick Heron books. And they've done a brilliant job with those books. And they've also filmed it in London, which is where you need to do Ben's books. Mm. So it's like one of these things, like as a fan of Ben's books for before the Strange Times ever came out, um, or any of my other books ever came out, it was one of those things where the fan base got really excited and then it didn't happen. And now it's like, oh, it might happen again. But like, yeah. well, people have been there for a while ago and don't get your hopes up too much, but hopefully it will. But yeah, yeah. Yeah, when we've got an airing date, well... Uh... <laughs> Yeah, even then, you 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 know, it's you literally don't know what's going to happen until they repeat it. That's really the rule, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> 
So um, how did you kind of transition from television writing into writing novels? Well, I, I sort of, um, I kind of had sitcoms and all that was sort of my first thing. And I was trying to get them away. And I've been trying to get them away since like 2002, 2003. I think I, I weirdly, I placed in a Channel 4 competition for write a sitcom really like probably actually before I came to London. So it would have been 2099. Um, so I was always doing sitcoms and they were like, I think I ended up with like 10 or so with them optioned at various different points, which I does know the thing is when co- production companies buy the rights to them and then they're trying to get them to um, broadcasters to make get them made and stuff and nothing mm-hmm. happened with any of them. Um, but weirdly, The Stranger Times came out of uh, a sitcom idea I wrote, God, about 15 probably years ago that I loved uh, that my age at the time just didn't really get. I don't think she ever did anything. She just didn't, um, I think she just didn't, strike you know make any sense for her so she didn't she didn't sort of see it so I kind of had that for ages and then um you know I've worked on kind of I worked with comic mates of mine like um I did the Sarah Millican show um and stuff because she's a, a very good friend of mine I was you know uh, I supported her on tour and stuff and her husband Gary I worked for her on Mock the Week and all these different places um so it was kind of one of these things where I was doing all that sort of stuff and then I had the idea to write a a fairly standard thriller probably think looking back on it but I realized I didn't know how to write prose I'd written loads of scripts mm. so I ended up doing a master's in creative writing um at MMU in Manchester I say I did I, I finished half of it and left um because <laughs> it's, it's by then, <laughs> yeah because by then I'd been publishing books and literally at the end of it you have to pay a few thousand pounds for someone to read your book and I'm like going I'm not paying people to read my book people yeah, pay me like, to read my book yeah it's n- number one rule isn't it you know yeah I'm not, I, don't, I don't just to get the piece of paper to put up on the wall um so I never finished it but I kind of got it got me into the great thing was it got me into uh workshops where we all shared a bit of our work and that was great where you got to start doing a bit of, and I started practicing writing prose I started writing short stories and then one of those short stories um sort of accidentally turned into a novel which I literally thought I was going to write as a practice and that became a man at one of those faces which is my first novel and that's kind of yeah how I, how I ended there I guess yeah you can see that a lot of the a lot of the plot is told through dialogue. Um, yes. So, yeah, you can definitely see the kind of the, the script yeah, writing script. expertise in the background there, I think. Yeah, I think that's the absolute, you're absolutely right. Dialogue is, I think it's kind of important as a writer to know what your strengths are. And dialogue is is one of my strengths. It's the easiest way. If I'm trying to figure out how to tell, say something, you know, get across something, I get two people in a room and get them discussing it and stuff. And it's, I just find the rhythm of dialogue. Um, you know, I mean, Authors have different things. Like again, these Ben Aranovich is he does fantastic descriptions of like architecture and stuff. If you've ever read the Rivers of London books, there's some amazing stuff. And it's really good. It's great detail, just a really fabulous description of a building and stuff. Mm. I generally through my books don't do that because I that's not something that really interests me. Yeah. And I think that's one of those things that one of the best pieces of advice I got was rather than trying to do what you think people think you should do, yeah, more or less concentrate on your skills. And I tell story best through character and dialogue. So I try and focus on that. Well, obviously you do obviously have to explain that there are buildings and people are in them, et cetera. I just don't spend, I just don't spend much time. I also never describe what people are wearing unless it's really relevant. Mm. Because as my wife pointed out is we could go out for an evening and I come home and ask you what anybody was wearing. And you almost certainly would not know because I'm just not, I just don't care. I'm a bloke who spends these days walking around in a hoodie and a shirt and shirts and shorts rather. So I'm, I'm just not interested in that. So I just don't do it. Yeah, and um, people fill in the details as yeah, they read. I, 
like it's Absolutely. a natural I thing to do. Much, yeah, yeah. I think very much, especially when it's a contemporary setting. We all, you know, we all we all know that people wear jeans and stuff. We don't need it pointed out what everybody's wearing. Yeah, <laughs> no. So the 14, 15, 15 books <laughs> that you've published have all been in reasonably quick succession. Um, so once you've gotten the swing of it, that was it, pretty much, I guess. Yeah, I sort of, I think literally, um, I mean, my, my Bundy books are independently published, as we mm. like to say, because people technically say self-published, but we don't like that because, barring else, my wife now giving up her job and runs our company full time and we have like uh. several people that work with us. So there is a team. It's not just me and my own sitting in my basement yeah. trying to not get a book. Um, but yeah, we we literally went looking for um, representation and everyone's literally, the feedback was it's, we got told literally it was too funny and too Irish, as I've said in interviews before, which was genuine feedback we got, which to this day, I don't understand what that guy's doing. And I'm, I'm very tempted to send him an email. Um, <laughs> never have done, but there's a little part of my brain that goes, it'd be quite funny to send him that. That's one um, for the business but, card. Yeah, exactly. But it's <laughs> So we literally were told, oh no, crime and comedy don't, as, but that's basically what the bunny books were, don't mix. And then we were like, well, that seems ridiculous. Chris Brookmeyer is one of my all-time favourite authors and he did yeah. it brilliantly for, for years. There's so many authors that did that, but it was, it's, it's publishing is very odd where they um, they get these ideas in their head um, and they don't really make a great deal of sense. And, you know, th- there are several authors now who are doing it and doing it well. And then even Richard Osman's books, if you look at them, they do combine comedy and crime. Although, hilariously, I was asking my agent about that. He said, do you think that's now publishing's now going to think that like comedy and crime will go together and they went he went honestly no they just they just think they should get celebrities to write crime that's what they, that's the lesson they took from that yeah not yeah. that that it's a very well written book and that's the style people enjoyed just that we should get anybody who's a celebrity and see if they can do the same thing which of course is going to mean they're going to end up spending a fortune on books that don't sell but that's publishing for you yeah yeah <laughs> So going into the Stranger Time series, was there any reason you really wanted to start with writing like a newspaper? Do you have any like background of overlapping with journalism at all? Not, not at all. I mean, I, I, I sort of got asked that and quite a few times in interviews. And luckily, like journalists have asked me and I'm like, oh, no, good. The fact that they even asked that means that I may have bluffed it reasonably well. Um, <laughs> but to be honest, I've always I think as a kid, I always loved the idea of it. Um, but yeah, I never got anywhere close to doing journalism because they, they literally gave us IQ tests when we were in school. And because no one could read my handwriting, uh, this is absolutely true. Uh, I was a told I wouldn't be able to go to university for quite some time. My mother disagreed strongly. And then they kept giving us aptitude tests. And because people could read my, I was getting the answers correct in maths. They went, oh, we should be an engineer. So I have a degree in electronic engineering rather than doing anything involving writing because no one could read what I wrote uh, back when you had to write things with your own pen. Um, mm-hmm. So I was literally told I was going to fail English and all this sort of stuff. And um, so I never got a chance to do any of those things because I would have had an interest in it. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, at the same time, newspapers and stuff are having a hard time. But so maybe it was a good miss to not get it. Whereas, yeah, um, <laughs> but yeah, but I've but I've always loved the idea. But I've always found it fascinating. Um and so that's why the, the world of it really excited me, because I just there was always a part of me that was frustrated and never get a chance to be a journalist, I guess. Yeah. And the the Stranger Times specifically is um, the the Fortean or Fortean. I've never tried to say that out loud. I think something it's 14, that's interested yeah. you. <laughs> yeah, no, I've always been fascinated by that. Um, for anyone who doesn't know the Fortean Times, I'm guessing a lot of the, the listeners to this probably do. But it's <laughs> um, they're basically um, they report weird, wonderful stuff from around the world. But they're not saying this is true. But I think the 14 view on it is it's interesting as a phenomenon that people believe these things. And they're not saying they aren't true either, but 
um, they they report the phenomenon and they find that in itself interesting. There's a great book called Borderlands that was done by a 14 um, Times journalist, which one I got got really into. And that book I just picked up somewhere, and it's all about UFOs and ghosts and all these different things. But it has some really interesting theories and comparisons of stuff. One of which, just quickly, is when there was a boom in UFO sightings after the Second World War in America. At the same time in Europe, there was a big boom in visions of the Virgin Mary or similar things like that. And his thesis, which I thought was just incredible, was that there was something happening that humanity generally didn't understand. But what you saw was what you were basically society, what you were your your brain expected to see. Yeah. So if you're American, you're expecting to see UFOs. If you're European, you're expected to see, you know, some sort of religious apparition thing, which I just thought was amazing. And when I started reading that book, that's when I really got into to subscribing to the 14 times and just finding these things fascinating. I've got a copy as yet unread of Dan Schreiber's book about all this kind of stuff that's quite oh. recently out. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, I think I've got that as well, actually. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I love the re- the reframing of it as, no, like we're reporting what people believe, and that's interesting. That's yeah. interesting in itself. You don't need to. You can or you can't believe in the rest of it. But yeah, yeah. it's a sociological thing. Exactly. Good word. I was looking for the word sociological. You know, <laughs> sociological. That's the word I should have used. If we can like re-edit this and cut me in saying sociological, so I say I'm really clever. Absolutely. I can I can rub my beard at the same time if that'll help because that's really sociological. Mm. That's this the kind of beard you want for that word. Uh, I've been tempted to take up smoking a pipe just for this kind of thing. <laughs> I did je- je- the day my first ever book came out, I got myself a fake plastic pipe and I had like pictures <laughs> of me doing the um, but along with everything else, it got lost on a house move. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean along those lines actually. So Within universe, the cast of Stranger Times have different levels of scepticism about the paranormal. Where would you say you lie on that spectrum, if you're anywhere solid on it? I think I kind of take the 14 view, which I'm interested in all of it. Uh, I haven't personally seen much evidence of any of it, but I am, you know, if you ask me if I thought UFOs existed, I would say in probability, I believe they are, whether we know what they are or not, Um you know, I think it's fascinating. I, I think there's all kinds of theories that they might be from different planets. They might be different dimensions. They might be literally our future coming back to look at us, all these different things. But I think there's definitely stuff happening there. Um, I mean, it was that amazing thing where the, the US Congress, people don't really, but they've they've basically admitted that there's stuff going on around military bases like in the last couple of years that people can't explain. Uh, but their their attitude was we need to make sure it's not the Koreans, which I'm pretty sure it isn't the Koreans, but it's their view. But the, the fact they've admitted stuff's happening, they can't explain what it is, I think is fascinating itself. Hmm. So I would say I'm open to all of it. I haven't personally seen much evidence of it. I had one minor, very minor like, paranormal experience, but outside of that, um, but I'm definitely open to all of it, I guess. Do you mind us asking what your minor paranormal experience was? Oh, yeah, not at all. Um, I mean, it's it's the most bizarre one of these you'll hear, just in the sense of how odd it is. I don't know. Do either of you have dogs? Yep, got one asleep behind me right now. Oh, fabulous. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if you know this, but where, where, where we are in Manchester, you can rent fields and bring the dog to the field. I've seen that, yeah. Yeah, and basically the idea is you can rent the field for an hour, the dogs can be let off and they're all fenced in and they're all safe and they can run around and be idiots safe that they're they're not going to do anything silly and get lost and run off or anything. So I'm always using those at my two dogs. And um, a couple of years ago now, last year, maybe about over a year ago now, I had the odd experience in the middle of the day in one of these fields, which is like surrounded by sheep. There's nothing near it. There's a road near it. I was standing there talking to the two dogs because they were sitting in front of me. And it's... 
I talk to my dogs regularly. I've had people look at me when I walk in them. I think anyone who doesn't talk to their dog is weird as far okay. as I'm concerned, because yeah. I'm convinced they understand enough of what you're saying. So I had the two of them sitting in front of me. I was describing we're about to play a game or something like that. I was chatting away to them both. Um, and then right beside my ear, uh, there was a laugh, like to the point where I was in the middle of this field and I literally ducked down and spun around because I thought somebody was standing behind me. Like, Ooh. and I mean, like to the point where like right behind you and there was nobody there. And like literally I was standing in the field and I'm looking around going, not only did that feel like there was someone there, but there's no surfaces that sound could have bounced off that I could mm. see because it's in the middle of a wide open field. There is a road and I was like, oh, maybe, but it didn't make any sense. That could have been traffic noise of some sort or because of how it bounced there. And it was one of these things where I just sort of went down playing with the dogs. And only when I got in the car afterwards, about like half an hour later, I'm driving away. It was like, yeah, no, that, that was properly weird. I don't know. Um, I mean, to be fair, I'm just, if there is a ghost there, I'm delighted for them. Because imagine how boring their life was before that was a dog field. Oh, yeah, that would just... be so nice afterwards, yeah. Yeah, because before that, they would have just been haunting sheep. And there's no satisfaction <laughs> in haunting a sheep. So, well, Can um, you tell if you're the thing that scared them even now? So. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like they're, they're, they're not even been near sheep. They literally have, their only emotion is hungry. I mean, it's like, you know, it's... There's no point to it. So, yeah, but that was my only, and it's such an odd, the reason I don't dismiss it is because it's such an odd experience. Like it was in the middle of the day and everything. So, yeah, I don't yeah. know. I feel like if it was sinister in any way, the dogs would have kicked off. That's always you, my thought. You would hope so. I think, yeah. yeah. I mean, one of them's quite nervous as it is, and they didn't react at all, except why is, why is he yeah. looking down? I think one of them <laughs> thought I was being attacked by a bee. But, um, <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. They didn't react at all to it, yeah. Cool. So again, kind of circling back to the the cast in the cast. But there we go. I'm doing TV stuff now. Uh, is it a cast in a book in the characters in Stranger Times? Um, the ensemble. The ensemble. Thank you. Um, is there a particular character there that um, you see a lot of yourself in, or that you kind of speak through as an avatar? Or <laughs> um, I think there's probably little elements in quite a few of them that I guess would be me. It's a very good question, but um, I mean, Bancroft is a bitter Irish. <laughs> um, <laughs> Drunk, um, which uh, I'm, I'm, you know, I mean, I'm, I'd like, I'm, I'm at least one of those things, but I don't think I'm probably the other two. But he's the great thing with Bancroft, he's the editor for anyone who hasn't read the books. And the great thing about him is he basically says the things that in real, in polite society, nobody ever gets to say. Ah. And he is, so he ends up being a lot of fun to write because he literally has no filter and it's just terrible to people, um, in a way that's a lot of fun to write. <laughs> um, but like, sort of, the Hannah is the, the, the woman who comes in who's kind of the eyes of the reader and stuff in the sense that she's sort of brought into the whole thing. So, I guess there's a mix of Bancroft, Hannah. Yeah, there's probably lit bits of me in almost all of them. Yeah, I think there's little bits of me in all of them in some ways, I guess. That's cool. The H Hannah actually, as a protagonist, um, she's very much kind of the straight man of the, certainly to start with. <laughs> yeah, to, to start yeah. with, then she's sort of, yeah, because you kind of, because she's basically, uh, to give the technical thing, she's kind of our introduction to the world. She literally comes in and the first scene is her doing a good job interview. Well, second scene which was in the sitcom script i wrote like 15 years ago by the oh. way um oh, that would make a good scene yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah and that was literally what i had in the sitcom and it was um so she was like our eyes into this world and then she ends up in this which is because you need if you're going to have this sort of weird collection of people and this weird thing you need somebody who starts off being the rational voice of reason sort mm -hmm. of thing that we all so that they go in and they bring us into the world and introduce it all to everybody so, yeah, she starts off being the sensible one. And then, oh, I mean, 
by book three, she's uh, as she's as crazy as anybody else is in there. <laughs> but by that point, she's done her job. There was was it a conscious decision to get her on board with everything quite quickly? Because I know, depending on the kind of oh, there's supernatural stuff in the real world, a uh, bit of media. Sometimes I think it drags out a bit long with the the straight man being the skeptic. Yeah, I know there is like some series where they're still trying to pretend that someone doesn't believe in everything and stuff. And I think I sort of it was one of these things that you have to decide for yourself when you're writing. And I do remember actually you mentioned that quite early doors going, right, I think at a certain point they're just going to, yeah, they're going to go with it. They're going to realise. Um, and I think it is, yeah, because I know what you mean. I mean, it can be done very well, but a lot of the time it's like, like with the X-Files, you sort of think, like, yeah. you seem way too much to be sceptical. Why are you being like, just, you seem way too much crazy. Vampires, like, no, nobody... that's ridiculous. I know we saw yeah. ghosts last week. but <laughs> Yeah, it's like nobody can hold on to scepticism in that situation. Yeah. I mean, by, by literally by episode three, you would be. Yeah. yeah, so I sort of made the decision that while it, it's important they react to it as being confused by it and stuff, <laughs> that they do, they are able to accept it because the way it works, they, it's just obvious after a while. I mean, you know, yeah. well, I, well, I know we should make, it's very obvious after a while in the first book. It'll be yeah. that way. We're next yeah. <laughs> So you've ended up with quite a unique mythology in Stranger Times. How much of that was there, like from the early sitcom scripts, and how much of it developed as you wrote the books? Well, well, interesting. The sitcom script basically. I'm, I'm really annoyed. I tried to find that script. By the way, I keep finding like DVDs with backups of old pe- laptops and stuff, and I keep trying to find it. It's the only script I've written I can't find, which really oh, that's me. so frustrating. It is because you like you thought this would be quite an interesting thing to see, but I sort of I think the sitcom it didn't have the idea that all this stuff was real. It sort of got to the point in the first few chapters where the, this newspaper is reporting it. And then I was kind of thinking about it again. And one of the early decisions before I started writing it was they, if they find out it's real, that makes sense. But then the mythology, I think my, my idea is, I like the idea that sort of all the stuff we know from mythology and, and kind of even to more up-to-date things, things that appear in fiction and stuff, that's all, in my view, that's all potentially there. But like, for example, in the second book, um, not giving anything away, but there's vampires. Yeah. But it's, I've always find it weird when we watch stuff now that people don't know what a vampire is. You know, what appears and they're like, oh, it's somebody with pointy teeth and they seem to have <laughs> drank somebody's blood. And like, we all literally grew up with the concept of vampire. So how I kind of did it was, um, I don't know how conscious this was, but I kind of like it now and I stick to it as a thing is, I believe all media and everything, all books exist. So the first time, like when vampires appear in the second book, they're almost like they exist. Theoretically, it's explained in the first book that they exist as an allegory yeah. for the, the big baddies in the book, if you like. And then in the second book, actual vampires appear. Yeah. But it turns out there's a very specific reason for that. And it's actually like they think it's a wind up or something. And it turns out that something else has happened. But um, I think I just wanted to try and do something fresh and different with it because I think tropes and stuff, people are always talking about tropes and genres. Um, and what I like to do is know what they are as much as possible and mm-hmm. then have my characters weirdly acknowledge them. Yeah. Like even in my crime books, I've had things where I've had them deliberately talk about scenes in films. Oh, this is like that thing in a film. Yeah. Do you remember how this is in the film? <laughs> yeah. And I, I just think weirdly that ends up being a much more interesting way of dealing with these things. Yeah, because you absolutely would. Yeah. It's it's far it's far less realistic to have somebody unaware of how a crime thriller goes. Exactly. So I, I think it's more and it's kind of it's better because you know, somebody's reading has read loads of these books. So rather than having to go back and go over the it's like with the Spider-Man films where they kept going through the same yeah. origin, the origin thing. story. 
Yeah, you don't need to say that three times. He got bitten by a spider. <laughs> it's why they did so right with the Tom Holland ones. Where they just went. He just says 50 minutes in, I got bitten by a spider. And then the spider's dead now. And then we're, we're enjoying being with Spider-Man, which is the bit everybody wants anyway, let's be honest. Speaking of folklore and mythology and stuff, is there any particular area of that that particularly fascinates you? Oh, I mean, I've, I've, I've kind of looked into various different bits of it and stuff. There's some great Irish things with banshees and stuff, which are quite hot right now, seeing as the, the name of films appeared with the word banshee in it. So loads of people are interested in what a banshee is. Has it now? Oh. Yeah, yes. Uh, but apparently it's getting quite the moment banshees. They're hot now. Uh, <laughs> I'll be thrilled. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, the banshee of Inishir, more importantly, made mini donkeys really popular. Um, I'd imagine they'll be the must-have must pet for the next year. Oh, no. But, um, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there's, there's various things with banshees and stuff that I've always found um, fascinating and stuff. But I kind of, I like taking what's there and then finding a new, different, weird way of doing something with it. Like, I can't remember the name from now, but this great little sort of weird little small goblin characters, I think mainly based around Scotland in mythology. And uh, they're obsessed with music. I ended up doing a short story that's in the Stranger Times podcast where... Um, Somebody's like going over the Pennines, which are hills, mountains between Manchester and Leeds, basically. And they get kidnapped by these guys and they think they're Led Zeppelin because it's back in the 70s and they're, they're Led Zeppelin's road crew. So they end up getting stolen by these things, guys thinking they're Led Zeppelin and they aren't. Um, <laughs> but that was like my way of doing a version of that story rather than somebody playing a flute, you yeah. know, having a battle with the devil or all that stuff. Yeah. Very cool. Cool. So, so yeah, with I, the po- oh, sorry, oh, sorry. So with the podcast, what made you want to decide to keep telling the short stories from the universe via the podcast? Is it just there's so much that there's not always room for in the books? Or yeah, it was just it kind of became a fun little thing where um, I think because I've written a few crime short stories, but in all honesty, paranormal is just way better for short stories. Some genres fit them better because paranormal you can just kind of take one kind of mad idea and just do a story with it. Um, and it just fits perfectly in that. So they're, they're ended up being a lot of fun. And I've done about, God, I don't know, 15 or 16 of them, probably now. Um, and yeah, it just, to be honest, it was in lockdown. Uh, the book was coming out. The first book, Stranger Times, came out uh, bang in the middle of lockdown when no bookstores were open, which was not the ideal way to launch a book, but never mind. <laughs> but around that, I sort of had, you know, couldn't do anything. So I started writing short stories because I didn't want to write another novel. I was in between that. Mm. I sort of wrote a couple of these. And then I had the idea of... Um, getting them narrated by friends of mine from the comedy circuit. Um, ah. And so they, I've got like, uh, I mean, loads of different comedians have done them. have been great. I mean, Jason Manford did the Christmas special there a couple of years ago uh, or last year, which was uh, one based on the Blitz of Manchester back in World War II when there was a two-day bombing thing, which is something I ended up doing a lot of research into because I find it fascinating. But yeah, so I ended up doing those. And it's just, it's a fun way to, I just enjoy doing them. And it's kind of more me. It's not my publishers asked me to do them. I just do them. Yeah. And I put them out as a podcast. And then people who enjoy the books and stuff. I think it's great because it gives you, when I really like the Rivers of London for another, to use it as an example again, I love like reading the books. And then there's also the graphic novels and stuff. Yeah. And you can go and find more of the world and build it out. And I think particularly with like fantasy worlds in general, they become more interesting the more you find them. And as an author, like I've ended up building this mythology around loads of different things just by writing short stories. And those things end up becoming, you know, part of the whole thing. Um, And I just find it really rewarding. And it makes it makes writing the novels just a lot more fun when you have more stuff to draw on, I think. Have you found it challenging to, well, actually going back to what we were talking about earlier, not accidentally referencing 
things that didn't go in the main novels. <laughs> I do. I kind of have to be like careful of it. Like I have had to in the second book. There's a there's a character called Stanley Roker who sort of accidentally became. I do this quite a lot where I write someone for one chapter to do achieve a goal, and then they end up joining the the ensemble yeah. to the point where my books you know that that scene in Muppets Take Manhattan where they're all in the car driving along and there's loads of them <laughs> and they're all my books end up feeling like that if I'm not careful where I just keep picking people up um but because what happened with Stanley was did one chapter in the first book with him was for interest and then I had an idea for a a short story that he ended up working perfectly for so I ended up writing a short story ah. with him in it. And that became part of the mythology. And then the second book, that sort of explained. And it's going to end up being an ongoing thing throughout the books. But yeah, so I had, but I had to be careful to recap it uh, so that people didn't lose out. But the hope is then you can tell people, go, oh, if you go back, you can hear the story properly of what happened and people can kind of enjoy that. Yeah, I've got to go back and listen to that one, actually. <laughs> but yes, you did a good job not making it um, inexplicable in the book then. That's good. <laughs> yeah, it's. I mean, it's always, I mean, one of the most difficult things with this kind of book is, to be honest, um, you have to recap um, and tell people what happened because I, I find this, I, I would never do this, but some people do start reading the third book before they've read the other two. And so they, they always get notes from the editor, like, going, can we explain what this is? And you're like, oh, it's really because it's it's honestly it's one of the, the hardest things to do as an author. And it's one of the things any author will tell you they hate doing, but trying to find an elegant way of explaining everything that happened previously. Yeah. When, you know, most of the readers remember that and they're like, yeah, we know why are we doing this again? <laughs> uh, and you, yeah, but it's one of those things where you just have to find the right balance, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've always had a huge admiration for writers on TV shows who can do the perfect previously ons to sum up like a whole season or something. I'm like, wow, how yeah. did you pick those scenes? <laughs> I would imagine they're not written by the writer, I guess. I, I tell you, that's a very really interesting. I'm not trying to find this out. My guess is there's an editor that puts that together, probably. Yeah. And it's probably like the showrunner maybe does it and stuff. But yeah, because I've never, but yes, it would be. It's very, it's a very talented, the same way as I really want to be the person that comes up with the music for adverts for, for, for TV shows. Oh yeah. <laughs> I think that's a cool job. And it's like, I mean, it's some great songs, but let's be clear. We've all heard the Massive Attack song. It's a wonderful song, but can we stop using it? <laughs> it's same as the, the cover of Running Up That Hill by Placebo that they use on every paranormal show. Now, it's an incredible cover, but we should probably find a different yeah. song now, lads. I mean, Give it a break. And then in 20 years, you can bring it back and we'll be like, exactly, yeah. Exactly, yeah. 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 <laughs> so... This is um, actually, yeah, I can tie it in. I can segue this. So, Go on, Francine, so the, you can segue. <laughs> so the whole um, kind of explaining the mythology um, is going to be trickier as a series expands. And it's something that uh, Terry Pratchett did to a greater or lesser extent. I think lesser as the books went on. He just kind of not gave up, but went, you know what? It's fine. This is a novel in its own right. Um, how does it feel to be compared to Terry Pratchett on a regular basis? I mean, it's it's a weird because I mean, I am I say I'm, I'm a massive fan of Terry Pratchett. I genuinely forgot this was here. This isn't, but this is the bust hey. of Terry Pratchett. I bought myself as a little present for uh, the limited edition one Very when cool. I completed my last book because I, I just I genuinely like having it. So yeah, look, I'm not I'm a massive fan of Terry Pratchett. Um, but at the same time, while it's very flattering, people say that I. The books are very. My books are set in a contemporary world. Obviously, the disc world is its own incredible creation. I mean, it's flattering in the sense that I guess. When you put an element of comedy in a fantasy thing, I think it's a go-to thing that people sort of naturally yeah. associate with. Um, and look, it's it's very flattering. I think there's probably, honestly, if you're looking for comparisons, I think Ben Aranovich is probably closer just because they're both contemporary. Mm. Um, but it's, look, 
it's an all-time greatest flattering thing you can say. But at the same time, as a Terry Pratchett fan, I know as a Terry Pratchett fan, I used to get annoyed when people did that, like journalists did that, comparing anybody to Terry yeah. Pratchett. <laughs> and I'm aware that that occasionally now is me. Um, and, you know, I can see people get annoyed on the internet. I'm going, yeah, I mean, I didn't say it. I'm not saying it. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, so it's, it's. I mean, but it's a great honour. In the same way as, like, I was in Germany because the books are, are doing well in Germany, which is lovely. Oh, cool. But, um the odd thing is in Germany, um, they describe my books as British humour. Mm-hmm. Now, let me be very clear. I live in Britain. I have many, many <laughs> British friends. This is not some weird now. But there is a little part of me that goes, I think I find it's Irish. Um, <laughs> but at the same time, when the Germans are saying that, what they're actually doing is my editors, my publishers going, well, it's just that that's Terry Pratchett and Douglas Adams are the two names yeah. that people use sure for British humour. Yeah. And it's like, oh, well, that's obviously the most flattering thing you could possibly say to anybody. So we understand that I kind of don't correct people anymore. And I just go, thank you very much. That's very nice of you and all that. But it's, I mean, it's one of these things people do with. They, it's the same way as they always, it's this meets this. That's always, you know, yeah. you know, we've seen that a thousand million times. And it's, it's, it's not just journalists. It's how publishers have to sell stuff. It's how film studios sell things. And you kind of have to sort of, deal with it but just be aware if anyone's here getting annoyed by the comparison i fully accept it and understand <laughs> it and i feel as annoyed as you are about it uh, but at the same time i'm also flattered by it so there you go it's kind of, it's a i think a more helpful way to say it is readers of project may also enjoy <laughs> yes i believe that's how trans world of, yeah. yeah trans world because trans world are terry pratchett's publishers yeah. and i am with trans world and they're particularly aware that pratchett fans can be a little bit touchy about this right <laughs> um, so they they are always very um careful how they frame I mean to be honest because you know they have quotes at the back I probably shouldn't tell you this but I will and the hardback of the book and they send you through the cover mm. and they're they're generally taking press quotes from like all the newspapers and people have said nice stuff but I did go through them and went I wrote back and went can we take like I think there's two references to Terry Pratchett in there from quotes in various newspapers and I went yeah and that's after I went could we take out there's four could we take out two of them because that really feels like that's being over egg yeah <laughs> so they did take out the references to being that and someone described it as horror which it is not um <laughs> i speak as someone who's way too scared to go and see a horror movie i'm actually going to see a horror movie uh from when we record this next week because Ooh. but that's only because my friend mark Stay, who's a fantastic fantasy author in his own right wrote uh, a script called the unwelcome and in fact, I was a consultant on it. I say that's a consultant. I read it for him because it's based in Ireland. I was just giving him some tips on Irish stuff. Ah, yeah. Um, and I'm thanked apparently in the, in the end credits. So I'm going to go see myself be thanked. But even then, I, that's the only reason I'm going to a horror movie in the cinema is because my name's in the title. My name's in the thing at the end. <laughs> and I'm bringing my friend Gary, who loves all things horror movies. And I'm like, we can finally go to see a horror movie together because I'm willing to go to see my mate's film. But yeah, horror, it is not. Yes, no, uh, agreed. <laughs> I'm also too scared to go and say, I'll read horror books a lot more willingly than I'll watch a horror movie. I think the music kills me. That's what gets me. Yeah, but um, I, I can't even do that, to be honest. I, uh, I remember reading Stephen King's, oh, what's the the one, oh, the, the the big famous one where he's at the Royal Hotel. Um, oh, The Shining. The Shining, thank you. Thank you, Joe. A friend of mine got me that book <laughs> as a present and said, you have to read this, it's brilliant. And I got to a point before they've even gone to the hotel his description of a child breaking her arm oh. is that vivid that I just went, Oy. and it is, I mean, don't get me wrong. It's technically brilliant writing. Mm-hmm. Absolutely fabulous. But I just go, that just stays in my head and I go, ooh. And then I was like, no. So I never even got to the hotel. Uh, there's <laughs> enough brilliant writing in the world to keep you happy without getting nightmares. That's. <laughs> yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I love John Connolly stuff as well. And he's, again, very dark, very, very vivid mm. at times. And I have found myself 
trying to find ways of reading those books not before I go to bed because those stay in your head too much. But yeah. Yeah. I said there are moments of perhaps not horror then, but certainly scary bits in your books. Is there there a balance you try and strike there? Is it just kind of naturally what you're comfortable with? Yeah, I think it sort of makes sense in certain things. And even like I'm starting writing the fourth one now and there are going to be some elements of that. And I think you sort of have the element of that because you you need it for the story. But just think like Terry Pratchett did that. I mean, you know, his description of, um, is it going postal where they have this sort of vampire bat creature that's in the... Uh, The truth. No, wait, it is going postal. It is going postal, yeah. yeah. There's sort of a... (laughs) Yeah, without giving too much away, I think it's quite early, but there's there's a horrible sort of thing in it. But the description of that is genuinely pretty scary. Mm. It's probably, I mean, this is a question you can ask your listeners, but I don't know what the scariest moment in a Terry Pratchett book was. I think that's probably, I'd say that's pretty close to it. Um, But that's quite vivid. Yeah, we literally just covered the bit in Nightwatch where he goes through the the particulars headquarters. Yes, which is scary in a different way. Yeah. Yes, that is yeah. genuinely quite affecting. But you know, it needed to. Be, he wanted it to be because he wanted to make the point. Yeah. Terry Pratchett didn't do anything by accident, as we all know. Um, but yeah, I agree. That's. But again, you. That's not horror. That's just yeah. an element in the story where it was important to. Yeah. To make the reader kind of stop and think, and you know, yeah. Yeah. He does a few horror bits in Carpe Jugulum, but that's like very specifically trying to do the gothic tropes. Yeah, yeah, it is yes. kind of a very self-aware bit. That isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Very true. So what's your kind of origin story with Terry Pratchett? I was thinking about this because, yeah, it's interesting you should say that because I have a sneaking suspicion this is going to be sounding odd, but uh, there's a guy called Pascal Dunahoo who's currently the Irish Minister for Finance uh, in the Irish government. Um, And we were in school together, um, actually primary and secondary school. We were mates. And I think he might have given me my first Pratchett book to read. Uh, which is weird. It's kind of, it's because it's, yeah, he's, um, I haven't seen him for years, but um, yeah, we were just, and we were just like Christian Brothers State School. It wasn't like a, because the Irish government's just run by people that didn't have to go to private school. Uh, <laughs> it's a bit of a different <laughs> well, that's system. Allowed in Ireland. That's interesting. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and and <laughs> this, I mean, this is getting off topic, but genuinely in the same week we had this, uh, we're, we're recording this, uh, a senior British minister has had to pay 1.5 million in a penalty of his tax. Pascal Dunahoo in Ireland is under investigation because some guys in a van put up some posters for him in his last election and didn't he didn't fill out a form to say they were doing that. And that's a serious yeah. investigation in Ireland. You just think, <laughs> wow, something's happened where those two countries are now very different. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think, weirdly, I might have to give the credit to uh, a, a politician. Yeah. Well, there we go. Do you remember which what which Pratchett book it was? Do you remember what the first one was you read? Oh, I think it would have been like The Life Fantastica or The Colour, yeah. which I always... The Colour of Magic is the first one, isn't it? Yeah. 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 I think I think it would have been the first it would have been the colour of magic then, yeah. Cool. And was it kind of a love at first sight thing? Loved it, kept buying them straight away from there or came back to Yeah, I think I read a lot as, a, as probably like a lot of people in the sort of early twenties that kind of probably moved away from reading and stuff for a while. But I think I was always getting Pratchett books when they were coming out. I think him and Chris Brookmeyer were the ones I always have like hardbacks and stuff of. Um so yeah, I think I, I kept it going pretty much yeah, fairly constantly, I think, and I certainly maybe missed a couple and caught up again. But yeah, they've been there throughout my whole life, really. And cool. um, what what is it about them that that you like so much? 
Oh God, how much time have we got now? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I struggle I mean, with a massive question. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, the, the style of writing is brilliant. I mean, he's, you know, he's he's you know, often copied, never equals, let's be honest. There's, there's even things like I did a little short story. There's actually in the, the Lovell Terrace Apart, the hardback, they had a little gap at the back of the hardback. Uh, and they said, have you got a really short story you want to put in? So there's one I wrote, which was basically me doing a little homage to Terry Pratt. I use footnotes, basically. I've never mm. done them before or since, but I put in <laughs> footnotes. Um, and it's quite cool when I saw it when the hardback came. I was like, oh, footnotes. <laughs> like, they look proper footnotes. Um, so just things like that. I think it's one of these things where he's always just sort of, I've never met anyone who's read one Terry Pratchett book and didn't really like it and then gradually got it. It's one of these things I think that you either, it's like Douglas Adams, you either read it and instantly you go, this is my favourite thing ever, or yeah. it's not for you. Yeah. Um, and I think it's, you know, there's no point trying to convince people otherwise, but I loved, you know, the humour in him and stuff. I think also his worldview, genuinely how he's, he's, there's great humanity in the books. And I think that's that's really appealing. I think he's, there's the, the famous quote about him being, you know, Neil Gaiman saying that he's angry and he definitely is. But at the same time, he's got the anger of someone who's a true romantic who yeah. wants the world to be better and believes that people can be better than they are. Um and I think that was just even just beyond the writing and stuff that informed. Never mind me as a writer, as a person. I think if you've read all the Terry Pratchett books, you don't. It changes your worldview. It doesn't leave you untouched, and that's yeah. great writing that you can do that. Yeah. Is there any specific kind of part part of your worldview that you can kind of pinpoint as particularly Pratchett influenced? I mean, it's a, it's a oh, that's a tough question because I mean, there's definitely he deals with racism quite a lot in his books. Um, and, you know, I've sort of dealt with that in my own way and different things in my books. Um, and I come from like my, my I come from a, a mixed race uh, marriage and all that. So it's an important thing to me. And it's like I've I've actually I think that's probably how he dealt with that. And he's look, he found brilliant ways of doing it. And he's he's also he's not just gone the easy thing. He's, he's, he's explained people's fear of the unknown. He does that with, with the particularly in. Um, I think it's um, what's the football one? The. Unseen Academicals. Okay, thank you. Unseen Academicals. That's the one where there's the goblin. Am I right in thinking that? Yeah. Give... Yeah. And he deals with it probably particularly brilliantly there where there's all these sort of ideas people have and these associations and stuff. Um, and that fear of the other. And I think he did dealt brilliantly with that, that people aren't what, you know, they're defined as. They get to define themselves. Mm. Um, so I think that kind of thing, I think that was a big influence on me. It's not like before that I was going, yeah, racism, great. But you know that way where it's, it just defines it more clearly in your head. Yeah. And I think that's the, the great thing some art could do was it gives you a more clearly defined view of your own opinion. It helps you mm. define your own opinion. And I think that's a big thing that his books do for me. Definitely. And I mean, it would be hard for them not to, but do they influence your work in maybe noticeable ways to you? Yeah, but like, I mean, I don't even know. It's, it's they're, they're so, you know, they're, I've read them so many times. I've listened to the audiobook so many times that you always, when I write a particularly good line, you genuinely look at it and go, I've not taken that from a Terry Pratchett book, right? <laughs> and like, you genuinely, and I, you know, as far as I'm aware, I never have, but you do still read stuff and go, because it's also as a standard comedian, when you, that's a big thing when you write something, you have to be very careful to go, am I, the bike, this feels yeah. like, if something turns up and it feels too good to be true, like that line just sort of hits and it's perfect, you go, no, that that feels a bit too over and ready. Have I heard that and forgotten? Or because um, a friend of mine is a guy called Gary Delaney, who's a brilliant one-liner comic, one of the best in the world, literally. Um, and he gets ripped off all the time. But but he has that where he's been a housemate, and he he spends ages looking at jokes, going, "You haven't heard that anywhere else, have you?" I was like, "No, I'm," yeah. you know. And he's he's got an encyclopedic knowledge because he needs to. So 
I mean, it, it, yeah, look, I'm sure it's had massive effects. Him, Christopher Bookmeyer as well, I'd say, will also have a huge um, effect on my writing. But I think it happens in just different ways. I think it's just in it's in your how your brain works. You're not like you're constantly trying to ape anything. But when you've read all those things, where they're part of your thing and you've listened to them over and over again, some part of your brain doesn't even realise has been learning from them. And so mm-hmm. inevitably it comes out in your own writing. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have, and we understand this can change at any time and is only your answer now, but do you have a favourite <laughs> or a top five of the Discworld books? I think I'm very legal. <laughs> oh, God, yeah. No, I, I actually wrote a thing, I think, for the Terry Pratchett, one of the, the Terry Pratchett websites or something like that. And it was, I remember spending oh, ages on this question. Um, <laughs> and even then, I was like, I checked it just before I came on. I was like, oh, I don't even agree with half of these now. Uh, I think Nightwatch definitely um, is there. Uh, the Truth, uh, bear in mind, I've now written. <laughs> books written in a newspaper the truth i think really again was probably a big influence directly on that um and there's con- i know when i did the thing controversially i had none of the witches books in my top five mm-hmm. and i was th- yeah which I, it's i got me wrong i'm i'm outraged by that i think the reason for that now looking back at it i think is i love ank Morkpork specifically so much i think the city is such a magnificent creation that all the books I picked were the ones that were set in that world. Yeah. Yeah. Having said that, I've been listening to um, Lords and Ladies recently and I love like the new audio version, which I love. Um, And that's been great to the point where I'm thinking, oh, maybe my top five would change again. And I need to start listening to rereading the witches books. But I was a big fan of going postal. Um, Yeah. I think unseen academicals, frankly, I've I've (laughs) seen people slagging it off relative to the other books and stuff. I think it stands up very well. And I think there is a lot of good stuff in that. Um, and I think it also has the uh, the crab bucket thing, which is the, you know, yeah. the crab bucket. I think that's an unseen academical. So, yeah. That and yeah. the, I think Men at Arms has the the thing that's been all over the internet, the boots theory, you know, the economic boots the boot theory. theory of economics. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Which has become, had a big thing because it was requoted again this year in, in, in Britain. Again, like, if I had to pick, because those are such extraordinary, great pieces of writing. Yeah. I probably, that's what would nudge maybe some of the books in my top five, because I enjoyed them all. I mean, let's be clear, like there's not yeah. a bad one amongst them. <laughs> but um, yeah, but like, as I say, ask me tomorrow, you'll get a whole other bunch of books. Yeah. And like within the, it doesn't always match up exactly, actually. Do you have like a favourite character or one that you particularly um, Oh, I mean... I think Sam Vine's probably um given I've written crime books and stuff and he that's the the closest project comes to crime. I think just because his progression throughout the books is fascinating. That's what night that's make Night Watch so brilliant, where he's an older guy who's kind of thinks his life's got comfortable, and then he ends up going back and meeting himself yeah. in his younger life. I think that book is amazing because there's so much in Night Watch that you probably like if you're 12 reading Nightwatch it's one book if you're in your mid-20s it's another book if you're in your 30s and 40s it's a very different book experience and that's a truly great piece of writing where it means something different to different people all of which are very valid but it depends where you are in your life because it it talks you know it, it makes incredible points about the whole of life um so um I think Sam Vines probably just because of his arc is so great is my favorite I mean, we, we've just finished our coverage of Nightwatch, or we will have done by the time, by the time this, this comes, comes out. out. <laughs> oh, no timelines. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but um, how, how did it feel reading that for the first time? Do you recall? Oh, I don't know. The first time I remember it was, I think, like, again, I know we're trying to avoid spoilers. I mean, there's so many great things about it. Um, I think oh, you can my spoil fav- Nightwatch. 
Oh, okay, good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think my very favorite thing about it is is the um, I mean, tar- Pratchett books have this thing where, by the nature of the genre and stuff, they they have more or less happy endings. Not you know, we can very. I'm sure if we all thought about it, there's probably different variations of it. Yeah. But they generally. But I think the great thing was of all of the Pratchett books. Look, you you, you go on them for the journey. You don't go for the destination. Mm-hmm. And I, frankly, yeah. I'm not interested in books. I always find in the crime books where the the twist you'll never see coming the twistiest twist is twist yeah. twist that, that tagline <laughs> that tells me i don't want that book because that's yeah. just something someone's come up with a, an implausible twist it's the journey I, that, that i think people enjoy in books and certainly i do but having said that night watch i can remember of all the pratchett books the ending being the most tense mm. um for various because because like there's basically the back in time version of the story that as an ending, but then when they go back, there is the 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 shock bit at the end. Um, so I think that's one of the reasons I'd make it my very favorite, uh, as well as all the stuff it's it says about the the sort of aging process and where people are in their lives. Mm-hmm. And his 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 analysis of revolution, I think, is incredible yeah. as well. So yeah. Yeah. Uh, do you think it kind of deserves its status as the best as its status as the best Discworld novel as a fa- fan status, I suppose? Yeah, yeah, I mean, if the that's... polls I was able to find. <laughs> yeah, I, I can certainly see how if you have, if, I mean, if you put a gun to my head and I had to pick one, I guess I would pick that. But it's, yeah, I mean, that's the thing. That's the thing that makes Pratchett great is it's not like he had one great novel. There's yeah. you can spend hours going over this and you'll have a all, all you'll get is a longer and longer list. Yeah. Yeah, just as well. We would not have a podcast. <laughs> yeah. It's very simple. You just go, it's simple. Okay, great. Yeah, no. It was no very nice around, to yeah. write 40 odd books for us. <laughs> very helpful. And then if, if you could like pick one to read again for the first time, then would it be Nightwatch or would it, would it be a different one? Oh, I, I mean, I'm tempted to say Nightwatch just because it, it is my very favorite. I know of, because I, I think I'm sure I'm not alone in this, but when I do this thing, every time I'm feeling ill, I basically go to bed and read a Terry Pratchett book. That's what I'm saying. So I'm always constantly yeah. reading one in some level. Um, I think what actually I'll say is as a slight weird, because I love the audiobooks as well. And I had, I kind of went through all of them because being a stand up comic is basically driving. Um, <laughs> it's like hours upon hours, thousands of miles of driving. Um, and I got all the audiobooks and I was basically getting them every month on Audible and stuff. So I'm actually now, even though I don't do the driving anymore, I'm I'm really looking forward to I'm looking forward to hearing the new version of the Nightwatch audiobook, which mm. I don't believe is out yet. Last time I checked um, uh, no. at the time of recording. Um, now, that's that's a very high standard to me because I love the old ones and stuff. But I guess I'm most looking forward to hearing that audiobook again. So I guess that would be yeah, the yeah. one I'd most like to reread. That's cool. Did you ever get a chance to meet Terry Pratchett or go to any of the cons or really engage in the the fandom side of of the Discworld? No, I never did, and it's a you know it's a great regret because I was thinking I've got mates of mine who've like Mark Stay, I'm sure has met him I think twice I think, um, but yeah no I was never I never did any of that kind of stuff and in hindsight I really wish I had, um, but no never got the chance. That's cool. It's kind of fandom culture something you've been into as a. Um, to a certain, it's, I think it's a whole thing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think Terry Pratchett is some of the better fans because there is. Um, I also play like I've started this year playing desktop, uh, basically because I I know hobbies because I gave up stand up comedy and that's when your my social life came with that. So I was literally I'm sitting in my office and I got back garden. Um, as my wife went, you know, you need to find a reason to leave the house that doesn't involve walking a dog. At some point, you're <laughs> going to have to do what normal human beings do. So I've started. I've always wanted to play like desktop gaming and war gaming and stuff and oh. I started and but it's interesting there where there's there's different fan things and there are some areas that shall we say are a little bit toxic um 
so I always think the Terry Pratchett fans are generally great in that regard. I know there's been, oh, there was the, I mean, there was the TV series that was the one yeah. that was, yeah. they had to ban all mention of it from certain groups because they were sick of them. <laughs> yeah, um, to bring out the worst in some people. Uh. Yeah, and that's, I mean, I do think some of that when people talk about the TV things and stuff, just as someone who's worked in that area to a certain extent, I think we all have to realise that uh, it's a very different medium. Yeah. And it has different needs and it has different ways of telling a story. And of course, it's never going to have the depth of a book in the same way as um, Douglas Adams fans. A lot of them get very, I just watched that recently, a lot of them getting very upset about the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy film. Oh, yeah. Uh, personally, I really enjoyed it. Is it as good as the, 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 the radio series in particular, which is my favorite version of it? No, but that doesn't mean you have to enjoy it as a thing in its own right. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, don't, I know people who've watched the watch and enjoyed it. I mean, I, I didn't manage that, but I can respect people who did. <laughs> we uh, decided to bail on our plans to go through it and like analyze it episode by episode as we do with a lot of the TV stuff, like for good omens we did. And yes, um, I Yes, I I played with our audience to let me off the hook for the, for the watch. <laughs> yeah, no, I I think that's fair. I mean, Good Omens was fantastic. We, we, yeah. we I love that, and I think it'd be. I mean, that was the thing that I think that's probably got people quite excited again. Now is now that they've done Good Omens and done it well. Yeah, people are going, oh, there's all this other Terry Pratchett yeah, it stuff. It can be done. <laughs> like I, I remember, you know, they they tried to Guy Ritchie tried to make King Arthur into a big. It was supposed to be like loads of different films, and they made one and it flopped. Oh no! Yeah. But I remember watching it, and there was all these just shots of these massive sprawling cities and i can yeah. remember watching it with my with my wife going so you could you could do that could be angmore pork they could do it they could just you know and it's like and it's you know i mean why would not but it's yeah yeah it's i mean reading the book is fascinating when they're talking about the various different tv things with terry pratchett and how it went mm. for years and they never got it done and then yeah. sky ended up coming in at the last minute and stuff but again that's the big thing with that's just the way people ask me about tv stuff and i kind of people are always surprised when they go yeah well you never know it's because it's one of these things. It's there is no advantage to you as a writer in getting invested in the idea of your work yeah. going on TV because there are literally thousands of people involved. There's so many ways it can go wrong, and that's either, either it won't get made or it'll get made made badly or all these things. That you should just control what you do and what I what I do is write books and I love doing that. So that's what I focus my energies on. I think. Do you think your background in TV kind of at least got you? You managed to fast track through that first bit of um, frustration, perhaps, that Pratchett wrote about. Yeah, I think just I kind of I knew because I had I had sitcoms, things that we thought were getting commissioned and got nowhere. And, you know, things that went horribly wrong were to nothing that I did. To be honest, the reason I started writing books is in hindsight, I didn't think at the time, but I was basically punch drunk where another thing had gone down. A production company apologized because they messed it up so badly, the pitch where they got someone to rewrite the pitch and they made a comedy thing sound like a drama. Oh. And then literally they got the feedback from three broadcasters, which all said, oh, this is not a, we want, we were hoping for a comedy. And I was like, I spent a year writing a script and none of these commissioners read the script because they messed up the pitch that badly. Mm. And like, literally, we know that for a fact. And like to the point where a producer said, I'm so sorry, we should not have done this. We should have listened to you. But yeah, you, so I ended up kind of, that was the classic TV thing where it didn't, you know, it wasn't working out. So I guess that's why now, my joy of writing books is my books are coming out. You know, people yeah. literally can't stop them coming out. Um, <laughs> you know, if for any reason, Trans World Penguin, who I've got a great relationship with, um, yeah. if they decided to stop publishing the Stranger Times books, they can't stop me doing it. Um, <laughs> and, you know, luckily that's not on the cards, thankfully. Yeah. But but yeah, and I, it's a great thing when you come down to my office and sit down and think, whatever I'm doing today, it's it's leading up to something. It's not something that could end up going nowhere. 
Yeah. Um, and it's honestly for your own mental health as a writer, there's a lot to be said for that. Yeah, for yeah. sure. <laughs> With the um, um oh sorry. Uh, circling back briefly to the whole like fandom thing I guess have you experienced that from the author side of things have you been have have you had uh you know fan mail people dressing up as characters and stuff yet or is it yeah we've had uh yeah we've had some lovely I mean we get um it's kind of a unique thing with our thing is you can email us and my like we get like 10 or 12 emails a day and my Mm -hmm. wife is generally deals as she's deals with them and she sort of chatting to people and stuff and we people come in and ask questions and stuff so we have amazing fans it's great because we have like a, a i send out a monthly newsletter um to people who want to sign up for it and stuff and i'll be encouraged people to write back and stuff because um it's a lot of uh, generally and generally people are are lovely i mean it's yeah. it's honestly like you sort of they they it's i try to explain this to somebody who go i wouldn't like to send out a newsletter it's bothering people and you go now people sign up because they're a yeah. fan of your work and they want to hear from you yeah because people like if you really enjoy something you want to be immersed in it yeah. so like if i do a podcast with new short stories people that are really into it love that yeah. um and they kind of email us and tell us how they enjoy it and stuff so generally it's been great i mean you get the occasional lunatic um i've got somebody <laughs> writing to me about i was before the strange times book came out but i got someone writing to me going um I have stopped following any authors who use foul language in their books or promote witchcraft. And I was like, oh, I wish you'd waited six months till The Stranger Times came out and I definitely would have had both. Um, (laughs) Yeah, but generally you get a little bit of crazy, but it's so completely outweighed by... I mean, I've got friends who are well-known stand-up comedians and stuff like that. And again, their fans are generally okay, but they, they can get a bit overwhelmed where you can't go out and, you know, you've got people coming up to you and... Generally, you never get that as an author. They're genuinely lovely. We went to Germany. We had a guy turn up with a box full of everything we've ever, ever written that had oh, been wow. published in English or German. And he was lovely. And he was just a, just a really nice, charming fella. And he's, you know, and we sent his emails. We're always chatting to him. And it was a couple of other people like that. And it's really cool to go to Germany and meet people who've like been a big fan of your work. And you're like, wow, this yeah. is amazing. This is great fun. And if you don't enjoy that, you know, you're, there's something dead inside you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so generally, it's been absolutely lovely and it's why i love doing the live events and stuff because it's great to see people coming out and and, you know saying how much they enjoy stuff that's wonderful yeah that's great would you say that um aside from terry practice then are there any other big like fantasy or genre speculative fiction kind of stuff that's been a big influence on you or that or that you're just a massive fan of um I mean, the Douglas Adams, certainly the Hitchhiker's Guide, I think I've li- I've read and listened to every different version of that at this point. Um, but probably the radio thing is my favourite because, um, again, I was listening to them in the car and stuff. So I've, I listen to them again. They're always bringing out new deluxe versions every few yeah. years. So I guess that kind of stuff. I mean, the Lord of the Rings, everybody reads her in the fantasy when they were um, teenagers and stuff. I remember doing that. I can remember being convinced I needed to finish the Lord of the Rings before the Irish version of the A-levels is the leaving cert. And I remember being convinced that I had to finish it before my results came out. So I ended up staying at five o'clock in the morning. <laughs> I, you know that way you, you just put something in your head going, I'll finish this yeah. by then and then yeah. everything will be fine. Yeah. And yeah. there's no correlation between the two of them. But um, <laughs> So yeah, I did that with the Lord of the Rings and um, yeah, a few different things. But, uh, you know, and like I, it's weird. My wife was like, bought me a couple of Star Wars presents and I was like, eventually went you know I'm not really that into Star Wars but well, you've seen all the films and you watch every TV show and I'm like yeah but that doesn't mean I'm it's, like, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. it's just because if you're a fan of fantasy you sort of do watch those things but that doesn't necessarily mean they're the biggest thing in the world to you 
I still have a Darth Vader helmet that I'm not putting on with a voice synthesizer. It's I've got a big head. It's one of those things that straps around your head. I'm not putting that on. It's, it's terrifying. I don't want to be trapped <laughs> inside this thing. Yeah, um, that's not the moment of uncertainty you want in your life. No. <laughs> if we, we, we've had it in our garage since we've moved into this house and we're moving house again in a few weeks time and it's still going to move to the next house list and I've never put it on my head we keep trying to find someone to give it to and nobody wants it <laughs> incredible <laughs> so coming up then apart from Stranger Times series are you working on anything else at the moment is there anything else you'd like to plug or um, well I mean this my Bunny McGarry books is Queen McDonald um, there's uh, 14, 15, no, 12, 13, whatever, whatever, 16 minus three. Yeah, 13. Yeah, the next one. Yeah. <laughs> there's, there, there's all those which people are always, it's quite yeah. nice that people have enjoyed the Stranger Times have come across and vice versa, mm-hmm. where it's quite nice when you get people go, I don't really read crime, but because I like the Stranger Times, I'll go read them. And then we've had lots of people go the other way where I wouldn't read Angle Werewolves in it normally, but seeing yeah. as I like your books, I've given it a shot and enjoyed it. Um, so yeah, that kind of stuff. We've got the live events coming up where just check Waterstones on CK McDonald. I know I'm doing... <laughs> Depending on when this comes out, we're doing the Ben Aranovich thing in London, which is going to be amazing. But that's sold out, unfortunately, um, probably because Ben's involved. Uh, <laughs> I, I think let's, let's be honest. And then I'm doing a um, launch date. I'm doing one in Manchester and then there's one in Liverpool and Leeds. You can find all the details of all of them on the Waterstones website, though. Cool. Excellent. And your podcast, you've got a, more than one podcast, right? We've got the Stranger Times podcast and we've got. The bunny, bunny cast. cast. Yes. Yeah. Is that still? I've got a couple episodes downloaded, but I didn't check when the latest one was. <laughs> yeah. Basically, what I do with the Stranger Times podcast is uh-huh. around the launch of the books, which is usually January, February. I do a, a sort of I'm on season three now, so we've done a few more of them. So there's three new stories and a couple of recaps and a couple of uh, previews and stuff. So yeah, there's loads of them there, and people are kind of always finding them, which is great. It's the great thing of podcasts, you know yourself, especially when they're not topical. People can go back and find you talking about whatever book and yeah. find short stories. So I really glad them do check them out because some really good people doing narration. About, um, people who haven't done narration before are just coming in and doing an amazing job in it. Yeah, um, which is just so cool. It's a lot of fun, and um, yes, yeah, so we do that. The bunny cast is more of a casual. It's more of a it's how I let people know that the latest audiobooks are coming out most of the time sort of thing. So it's very sporadic, but there's, there's still about 40 episodes of it now, yeah. I think. But The Stranger Times is a little bit more structured, where we generally do it in January and February, and then there'll probably be um, a special in October when the paperback comes out, something like that. Cool. Cool. Um, we did ask, do you have any kind of obscure reference for us? <laughs> As in something I found out was it in, in my research. Yeah. Um, my favourite research fact I will tell you about Manchester is there is a massive cavern right under the centre of Manchester that I believe you could um, fit a um, cathedral in. Um, It's something to do with, it existed when boats used to go under Manchester because like a lot of cities like London and stuff there's and Dublin, there's a lot of canals that have been built over and stuff. Uh, But this was actually, there are canals that went in always went in under Manchester when they were delivering oh. stuff by like lots of, you know, back in the <laughs> commercial days of the thing. Yeah. And there was this, there's this massive area that's not used for anything now that um, you used to be able to go in and see, but it got bought out by a company a few years ago. And mm-hmm. now it's just there. There's this massive cavern under Manchester and nobody knows what it's being used for. If it's been used for anything, which <laughs> um, is actually something that kind of inspired some stuff in the stranger times yeah. uh, universe. That and the random fact my wife found out yesterday, which is that the Aldi in the uh, Trafford Centre is the... No, the Aldi in the Arndale Shopping Centre is the busiest in the world. 
Yes, that's um, right. Oh, there you go. Amazing. She, she was literally just standing there with my niece going, God, it's so busy. And this security <laughs> guard who obviously made his day but being able to tell somebody came up and went, I think I'll find it's the busiest <laughs> in the world. Like, have that proof, statistical proof. And like, Elaine came back and my wife came back and told me that. It's like, I don't know where I'll use that, but I'll try and find some way of sticking it in somewhere. <laughs> that's great. Oh, that's my favorite. That's much better than some of the blind research techniques. If I can like somehow get people to come up and tell me trivia. Yeah. <laughs> and even if it's not real, uh, I don't really. You know, like, I was like, somebody, I was playing this to somebody recently that I'm, I think it's like a podcast I did, but Desert Ireland uh, Dicks, I don't know if that, that's the, the podcast. It's all about the worst people in the world. Oh, cool. And one of the things was my, my big things was uh, people who don't understand how stories work. Like they'll ask you, is that true? And you go, did you enjoy the story? Yeah. yeah. It doesn't matter if it's true or not. <laughs> I'm not asking you to vote for me. Just enjoy the story. <laughs> But so I, I I'm quite flexible with uh I don't mind if facts are true as long as facts are interesting yes. then I'm a bit you know as long as it's in the world of fiction generally then I'm fine with facts being a little bit fictiony as hmm. long as it's not you know important stuff in the real world yeah that's one of the nice bits in Rob's book is the um, many many mentions of these facts are too good to check <laughs> yeah it's fine yeah, exactly. <laughs> perhaps you understood that so you yeah. know you don't need things to be truthful for certain areas yeah well, similarly to kind of the the point behind the stranger times or 14 times isn't it it's uh the point is that this is a story yeah not exactly that, yeah. people <laughs> that <Yeah>. is fact <laughs> whether it's fact yeah. or not is an interesting in its own right but that yeah. doesn't take away from yeah. what the story is and that's the important thing do you have a favorite method of like doing all this research and finding out cool folklore and and manchester history and I'm sort of, because uh, I always feel guilty, but again, I've, weirdly, I've quoted him like five times because I'm doing the thing um, a couple of weeks with Ben Aranovich because he's always doing very detailed research. Like if mm. you follow him on social media, yeah. he's always got very detailed questions. And I'm like looking at it going, God, I, I just make it up. Um, <laughs> but um, Like I have a couple of, I mean, I sort of wonder around Manchester, something that I really want to do actually that I might do in October because I thought it'd be really fun to do and I forgot to do it this time, to be honest, is I had the idea of, I'm just going to go into Manchester for the day, wander around and take pictures of various different things. And the whole idea is I'll have a Zoom that night with like fans of the books and go, right, I'm going to write a short story based on something I've seen today. Yeah. And then I'll start showing people stuff and see what they think is interesting. Oh, cool. But yeah, like, because I've sort of come up with short story ideas based on random little things just from walking around Manchester. So it's less research mm. and it's more just sort of wandering around and finding something interesting. Like you, you do see, I think I referenced it in a short story in the new series. Um, and you will see in Manchester randomly, occasionally just blokes randomly dancing on street corners that look like they went to the Hacienda back in the 1990s or, and never came home. <laughs> and it's it's kind of part of the culture here with various different things. And like things like there's a there's a guy who goes around Manchester with a, a boombox, like an old school boombox, on the in the strapped to the back of his bike, and he's just cycling along I think called Oxford Road, which is the big road in Manchester. And you hear him coming, and like it's so loud, the music's distorted and stuff. But he just drives around with this thing on all the time. Um and he's just part of Manchester thing that you go, Oh yeah, it's the it's the boombox guy yeah, yeah. going by. <laughs> um and it's sort of I've never um yeah, but I'm probably going to use that in a short story. Quickly, my very favourite thing, Manchester experience. Ooh. This is, again, not really research, but I passed it when I was giving blood a couple of days ago, so I remembered it. There's a thing at the end of the very first Stranger Times book, without giving anything away, because this isn't, of course, the plot, but there are literally two of them sitting in a car and a bloke in a, one of those hospital gowns with the, thing, yeah. with the thing open at the back runs out and is running by. My editor said, "That's what, can we take that out? I was like, no, I want to leave it. Because it? it actually happened to me. I was sitting right, in the traffic okay. 
And this I did guy came, back a few pages. <laughs> yeah, he came running by uh, in a, in a hospital gown, trying to flag down somebody to stop for him with his art like backside hanging out with the back of this thing. And it clearly was basically there was a policeman somewhere that should have been keeping an eye on him. He was in hospital. He'd taken his chance and done a runner. And what was great about it, just it was wouldn't be Mancunian in the way that he was also running down. And also there was a whole line of traffic and nobody was honking or nobody was going like dubbing him in. We're all just sitting there watching him going, "Go on, fella." I mean, I'm not picking you up, but away you go <laughs> good luck to you yeah, exactly i'm so happy to find out that's based on a true story yeah yeah and I, I forgot all about it until literally last week and i went yeah that's really true yeah <laughs> <Beautiful>. <laughs> oh, i love that okay is there anything that we haven't covered that you think we ought to cover no nope, i think that's that you'd like to talk about okay no, i think we've covered everything i think thank you very much you've let me ramble on <laughs> no we've enjoyed it very much <laughs> Where can people follow you for further ramblings? Uh, oh, if people want to find out about me, they can go to uh, there's whiteheadirishman.com, which is my general website, which covers all the books. There's also the strangertimes.com, which is more for the Stranger Times books. And you can see some of the articles and stuff there as well. Or you can find me on the social media, uh, on Twitter, on the only Queeve. And uh, if you can spell Queeve, I mean, it's a, if you can, it's kind of like a it's it's an impressive test if you can figure out how it's spelled without being shown it. We'll put um, it in the show notes, but try it yourself first. Yeah, listeners. try. It. I mean, generally, it's, you, can, you can have a very fun game of Hagman with yourself where you try and spell it without seeing it, and then realise that you can actually manage to because the phonetic spelling of my name features none of the letters that are in my name. Ah. Um, but yeah, but generally, the Stranger Times website and stuff is and the the whitehairedirishman.com is probably the best place to find me. Yeah, cool, good stuff, excellent. And dear listeners, of course, you can find us in all the usual places on Instagram at the True Shall Make You Fret, on Twitter at Make You Fret Pod, on Facebook at the True Shall Make You Fret, and our subreddit community r slash ttsmyf. I can normally do it in one breath. <laughs> and email us your thoughts, queries, castles, snacks, and albatrosses, the True Shall Make You Fret Pod at gmail.com. Until next time, dear listener. Do not let us detain you. Did I get it right? That was right, you was did. it? <laughs>